0: This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest, I'm World
1: Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The United States Supreme Court is finishing up its current session. Some of the rulings and decisions the high court made are of particular concern and interest to people of faith. Those rulings include sweet cakes by Melissa. That's the case of a custom baker who'd been put out of business for refusing custom work celebrating a same-sex marriage. Or the Bladensburg Cross. That's a display of the cross on public property commemorating World War I dead. And stating that the court will hear a case in the new session on the actual definition of sex under federal law focus on the family vice president and longtime washington observer tim gigline's been following these cases he and i discuss the cases and their impact of religious freedom on today's world lutheran news digest and now today's fast track The Rev. Dr. Matthew C. Harrison has been re-elected President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, after receiving a majority vote on the first ballot. Harrison defeated two other nominees, Pastor Timothy M. Klinkenberg of St. John's Lutheran Church in Orange, California, and Michigan District President Pastor David P. E. Mayer. Harrison, who's slated to serve his third three-year term, will be sworn in next month at the LCMS Triennial Convention in Tampa, Florida. Legendary actor and director Clint Eastwood is staying out of abortion politics this summer as he prepares to film his new movie in Georgia. Dozens of other celebrities and film companies have said that they will boycott the state if its new heartbeat bill goes into effect. That law prohibits abortions on unborn babies once their heartbeat is detectable. That's about six weeks into the pregnancy. Governor Brian Kemp signed the law in May despite Hollywood celebrities' threats. Reportedly, Eastwood is not participating in the boycott. Instead, he plans to start production on The Ballad of Richard Jewell this summer in Atlanta. So far, none of the prominent actors in the film have mentioned anything about the boycott either. They include Kathy Bates, Olivia Wilde, John Hamm, and Sam Rockwell. Wilde has advocated for abortion in the past. The U.S. State Department is taking new steps to call out China as one of the world's worst violators of religious freedom. Last week, both Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Ambassador-at-Large for Religious Freedom Sam Brownback rebuked the world's most populous country for ramping up what Brownback called its war on faith. The latest report on international religious freedom from the State Department's Office of International Religious Freedom details the status of religious liberty in every country in the world. This year's report describes religious freedom issues in China's mainland, Tibet, Macau, and Hong Kong, where Christians have played a central role in recent pro-democracy protests. Alliance Defending Freedom Attorneys filed a federal lawsuit Monday on behalf of a church-run grade school in the Baltimore area. This after Maryland officials revoked the school's eligibility to participate in a voucher program to benefit low-income students and also demanded the school pay back $100,000 for previous participation in the program. While more than 20% of the students received some financial aid, many families were able to afford sending their children to Bethel because the school participated in Maryland. Maryland's broadening options and opportunities for students' today's school voucher program. In August 2018, just weeks before the school started, Maryland officials abruptly notified families that they could no longer use their boost vouchers to educate their children at Bethel. State officials also demanded that Bethel pay $100,000 for vouchers that had been honored for the previous two school years. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages.
2: Hi. I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio.
1: What is it that you want to share with us? Call the KFUO comment line at 314-996-1542. Tell us what we're doing right, wrong, or just leave a message with your thoughts on why KFUO is important to you. What would you like to hear on KFUO to make your listening experience better? You can call us anytime at 314-996-1542. Thank you for listening and sharing your thoughts with
0: KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.
1: This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. The United States Supreme Court is issuing its final rulings on cases in the current term. Several of those decisions are of particular interest to people of faith. Those cases involve a display of a cross on public property, religious hostility on the part of state government, and dress codes and gender. Longtime Washington observer and friend of this program, Tim Gigline, has been watching these cases, and he discusses them with me today on World Lutheran News Digest. Tim, welcome to the program again.
2: Thank you so much, Kip. It is always an honor to be with you and with your audience.
1: Well, thank you very much. I know that you've been following these cases as closely as I have, and boy, there are some very interesting decisions that were made. Let's go over the first one I wanted to talk about, and that's the case of the Bladesburg Peace Cross. And what had happened there was the American Humanist Society, uh, Association, excuse me, had challenged the. War Memorial for World War I uh, veterans, for, actually for 49, I believe, veterans uh, that were killed in the war from, uh, from that county, saying that, gee, they saw the cross from the road, were offended by it, and it should go down. Supreme Court ruled 7-2, to two, I might add, that the cross can stay. What do you think
0: about that?
2: Well, I think that it was a great victory for religious liberty as far as it went, and, as far as it went, is the most important thing to say, and I'm eager to take a step back because I think that that you know, as in all things, the facts matter. Prince George's county, where the Bladensburg Cross memorial to the World War One veterans of that, Uh, Great County in Maryland Died, is a contiguous county to Washington, D.C. So for a lot of us who live here, uh, Prince George's County, you know, is just a hop, skip and a jump uh, from the capital of the United States of America. And uh, this uh, remarkably beautiful, uh, tall cross was dedicated, as you say, in the 1920s. And on the names uh, on that cross uh, are uh, men who were white and black, Jewish and Christian. Uh, yes, uh, these names are inscribed on the Holy Cross of Mercy, but it is a very important uh, historical uh, uh, marker uh, of the incredible sacrifice of these men. And these families came together, Kip, in Prince George's County to really honor their fathers, uncles, cousins, uh, nephews, grandfathers and in the 1960s uh this ground which was private ground was shifted to Maryland the state of Maryland and the state of Maryland has taken beautiful care uh of this uh of this cross this monument well, well what has happened is that uh, the american humanists uh, group as you say uh said you know church and state church and state uh you know Maryland is a state uh the cross is um a religious symbol. Therefore, uh, ergo, it's unconstitutional. Well, the Constitution has never said that religious iconography on public ground is unconstitutional. So that that was the centerpiece of this case. The problem, and this is the most important thing, Kip, like a big problem, is that if the Bladensburg Cross had been considered unconstitutional, I guess you and I would have had to have gone all around the uh, world and around the country, uh, wherever there is a uh, cross uh, or a Star of David on public uh, ground. And I guess by you know, a bad decision, we would have had to have removed it. Praise God uh, that the Supreme Court, of course, said this is constitutional. Well, in, but in the, fact, in yeah, fact we would have
1: had to remove crosses from Arlington National Cemetery,
2: uh, exactly. Uh, in fact, all of us uh, just watched the incredible ceremony of the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And in Coville, where I visited just a few years ago with my own father, uh, you know, just above Omaha Beach, uh, are rows upon rows of crosses and stars of David of Americans who gave their lives for the liberation of Europe and saved the world. There's absolutely nothing unconstitutional in Arlington. In Coville or in Bladensburg, was having a cross or a Star of David on public ground. But, and this is the most important thing to say, Kip, for the great victory that we're all grateful for, this case was not definitive. And here's why and and we have to remember that this was not a nine-to-zero decision for religious liberty, it was a seven-two decision, what what remains very troubling is another decision of many years ago at the Supreme Court. And that decision was, well, you can have a nativity scene, you can have a cross, you can have a Star of David on public ground, but you have to balance it with something else. You have to balance it even maybe with something that is secular, And of course, there's nothing in the Constitution that says that, but that remains law as well. So for all the great news of Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cakes, of all the great news of Bladensburg and all these important religious liberty cases, very often there is never just a clean victory, and we have to wait a little bit more to see if eventually the Supreme Court will say, yes, putting a Star of David putting a Christmas tree, putting a cross on public ground, putting up, you know, a nativity scene or etc., this is not unconstitutional. But under present law, we have to wait a little bit more to make sure that we have that kind of clean ruling. Well, one up,
1: uh, one wording that I found in the ruling that that bothered me It was from Justice Beyer, who ruled in favor of it. But he did note that uh, the argument had been made by other justices that because of the age of the display, it could be considered a monument. And he questioned whether or not that would be true on more modern displays.
2: Uh, And, you know, may I say, Kip, you have said far more eloquently what I was uh, saying a moment ago. Justice Breyer and Justice Kagan, both of them are typically skeptical of religion in public life, but they ruled uh, correctly in the Bladensburg case. But, to your point, both Justice Kagan and Justice Breyer make the point that, well, you know, 1920s America, yeah, you know, then is then, now is now, you know, for these uh, crosses or religious iconography that are left over from another era, you know, I I guess we can declare them constitutional, but... He makes it very clear in his, uh, in his concurring majority opinion that there that this you know that, that there is an instance where a a similar memorial being presently built being constructed in the 21st century may not actually be uh, constitutional so to your point, very often and mistakenly some Supreme Court justices are putting uh, religious iconography, public statuary, memorials, and monuments in, in kind of the dustbin of history. That's not what our founding fathers uh, intended, and this is very, very bad uh, jurisprudence. Well, another
1: thing that happened in the ruling that I found encouraging was I believe several of the justices came up with the conclusion that there's no such thing as visually offensive. It had no I basis. I
2: could not on. agree more. You're absolutely I didn't mean to interrupt you.
1: No no problem at all, Tim. Uh, But that was the one argument that the humanists were making was that, gee, we are offended because we see this thing, therefore it should come down. And several of the justices said there is no basis in law for such a thing as being visually offended
2: you know, we should all be offended by that kind of rationale. Uh, I was in the Supreme Court uh, the day that the Bladensburg case was argued, and uh, there was a truly remarkable moment uh, in which uh, Justice Gorsuch pointed upwards just above the Supreme Court bench where this case was being argued. And I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said, are you saying You know, that Moses and the Ten Commandments, which is in the pediment above the desk at the Supreme Court, you know, that somehow uh, this is inappropriate or offensive. Uh, And I'm very happy to report that overwhelmingly, you know, people in the courtroom thought that that was a truly uh, crazy uh, argument. So uh, not only do we have the Constitution on our side, but I, I think we have a good taste on our side.
1: Well, I'd like to move on now to another case. Um, actually, there's two cases that are related here. One is the Sweet Cakes by Melissa case, where, as you know, in the state of Oregon, she she and her husband had a, a custom bakery. They only made custom, uh, custom designs. They did not sell off-the-shelf things. And they were asked to make a uh, display for a same-sex couple, and uh, they declined on the basis that they found it immoral. The state of Oregon... Uh, went after them, fined them $135,000, and put them out of business. And the case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. Now, as you know, a very similar case was the was the uh, Masterpiece Cake Shop, where the court again decided seven to two that uh, a state could not show open hostility to religion; it must be neutral. And so they've thrown it right back to uh, this to the state of Oregon to hear it saying you must look into it in uh, with the view of the masterpiece cake shop decision related to that is of course this, the case of arlene's flowers which had exactly the same ruling was thrown back to the state courts saying you got to redecide this on the basis of a masterpiece and they just decided against it again
2: this series of three cases For those of us who love and revere religious liberty, these are three cases that are probably three of the most important cases in the history of the Supreme Court, and here's why. Case one, Jack Phillips, the Baker in Colorado. Yes, he won at the Supreme Court, but the reason that his religious liberty, you know, was affirmed in that ruling was not because, as a man of faith, he had the constitutional right not to bake a cake for a same-sex couple. The reason uh, that he won that case tip is because, demonstrably, the uh, state of Colorado had singled him out for being a Christian, and therefore fined and punished him. So on a technicality, so-called, Uh, Bigger than a technicality, but because the case was not firmly decided on the basis of religious liberty, Jack Phillips won. In the second case, the Sweet Cakes by Melissa, uh, as you rightfully said, that uh, case was sent back to Oregon in light of the Masterpiece Cakes case. And the Supreme Court said, essentially, look at this again in light of their decision on Jack Phillips. So next we have the potential, point three, uh, Arlene's Flowers. This is the uh, florist in Washington State. Uh, it's a very, very similar case, although it's flowers and not cakes, you know, uh, in the line of, of Jack Phillips. And the Supreme Court, and this is what's most important here. so far the Supreme Court has not definitively ruled that it is constitutional not to bake a cake, or not to, uh, you know, do a floral arrangement based on your personal moral and religious views in the United States. The, the Supreme Court has clearly decided, you know, heretofore not to decide. And my prayer and hope is that the Supreme Court will agree to take up the Arlene's uh, flower case in the next term, because if they do, and if she wins hereafter, all people of faith can say, look, I am, uh, you know, I am an artist. I am a cake artist. I am a floral arranger, you know, and this is in opposition to my uh, religious liberty, my right of conscience, and free expression. And, uh, and I think that, that uh, Arlene's case uh, is a very strong one, and if the Supreme Court takes up this case, I believe that not just for Jack Phillips, not just for Uh, sweet cakes by Melissa, but for all men and women of faith, conscience rights uh, will be affirmed.
1: The Supreme Court has had a habit of kicking this can down the road. They really seldom come up with a definitive ruling one way or the other on many decisions. Uh, Of course, recently they've changed, for example, with Obergefell ruling that uh, same-sex marriage is the law of the land, or, or of course Roe v. Wade. But I'm wondering here in this case, since we've found, we now have three cases, one, two, three, right after coming at them, and there are other cases hanging in the wings out there. We've got uh, photographers, we've got calligraphers, we've got wedding planners, all sorts of different artists who are waiting for this. How much longer can the Supreme Court decide not to decide?
2: You know, the Supreme Court historically decides not to decide on very big cases, you know, over and over again in American history. And it can be very frustrating because we're Americans. You know, we, we, we go to a football game, we go to a basketball game, we go to a hockey match, and, you know, we want uh, you know a clear victor or loser. But American uh, constitutional law at the level of the Supreme Court and the most senior appellate courts Simply does not act with that kind of haste. And it, it takes a series of cases over a number of years, rightfully decided or wrongfully decided, uh, for a Supreme Court typically uh, to, uh, to come out of the fog and mist and very clearly say this is what the law is. And Kip, I'm really glad that you mentioned Roe versus Wade because, you know, a lot of Americans who are pro life think that essentially a case went to the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade, in 1973, that it was uh, argued and debated and then announced. Excuse me, the case went in 1972 and not, uh, decided in 73. But the fact is that quite literally, for 25 years before Supre- uh, uh, Roe versus Wade, there were several major abortion cases that were pinging around at the state regional and local level until they went into the district and to the appellate uh, federal level, and then up to the Supreme court. So I think on these religious liberty cases, alas, we are going to have to be patient, and we're going to have to see uh, how uh, you know the, the, the stack-up of the present justices uh, decide to vote. I am hopeful on this, very hopeful, uh, that within three terms, which seems an eternity, but within three terms, I think that, in fact, uh, religious liberty and conscience rights on this principle will be affirmed.
1: Well, just the fact that they've had these cases one right after another before them indicates to me at any rate that uh, they are perhaps setting up the uh, setting up the uh, the scene for actually making a definitive ruling we'll find out another uh, ruling that was done actually not a ruling what they did was they decided to hear a case in this upcoming uh, session the next session and as you're aware the supreme court rarely really hears cases on appeal this one however is very interesting It's a case of R.G. and G.R. Harris funeral homes and the issue there is, they have an employee who was born male now claims that he's a female and wants to wear woman's clothing when greeting the bereaved of the uh, of the deceased. The uh, funeral home says this is violating their uh, their dress code. The transgender person in this case says, "Well, gee, no, this is a civil rights case." And what is really interesting about it here is that they. If they are trying to change the actual legal definition of sex to mean to include gender identity, and this would have enormous impact throughout the federal uh, federal legal system, Title VII, for example, which was designed specifically to prevent discrimination against race or sex, suddenly would now include gender.
2: You know, I'm so uh, pleased, Kip, that you have raised uh, this, because overwhelmingly, this is, uh, the most important religious liberty case that will be argued in the new term beginning in October. And for all the reasons that you have so eloquently said, this funeral home case, uh, has overtones of uh, the civil rights, uh, 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 bills of the 1960s bit of Obergefell, which you mentioned a moment ago, uh, the, the imposition of same-sex marriage in all 50 states, uh, and it has all of the religious liberty intrigue and importance uh, of the three cases that we were uh, discussing earlier. Uh, this is an absolutely major case, and, and in many ways, this goes far beyond religious liberty and rights of conscience, in the, as we were talking about in the three previous cases, and it gets to the very heart of what is the definition of sex for purposes of federal law. If the definition of sex for purposes of federal law, as in the civil rights era, uh, was defined as two genders, male and female, you could have one uh, series of decisions. But if the definition of sex is uh is sexual orientation or gender identification this would be as you say a fundamental rewriting of federal law without the input and direction of the uh, legislative branch and i have to tell you uh, this early and i've been studying this case kip my early sense on this uh, is that the present court will be very reluctant to say that they the court have more authority or power than the legislative branch under the Constitution to determine uh, these definitions for purposes of federal law. So uh, I think this is going to be a beyond fascinating case to watch, and by God's grace, I think you and I will be having uh, uh, at least one and probably more very important discussions about this fundamentally important religious liberty conscience case.
1: It is, and you pointed out a vitally important constitutional view of this as well, is that does the court have the right to make law, or is that specifically to the legislature? And I think the Constitution is rather clear on that. Uh, This is one of the complaints we have often heard, is that the courts are, in effect, making law. So we'll see what happens. Tim, I want to thank you for being on the program and for shedding some light on on these court cases. We live in interesting times, and let's keep an eye on the court, and let's keep an eye on society and see
2: what's happening. My friend, thank you so much. I enjoyed the discussion. Anytime,
1: Tim, anytime. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime, streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen.
0: World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.